Hello, and welcome to The Vast Majority. I'm Jacobin Managing Editor Micah Utrecht. Now, I know that all of you definitely noticed that we didn't post an episode last week because you definitely check for The Vast Majority episodes every single week, and you are totally devastated if you don't find one. Now, the reason that we did not record one is because I was in South Bend, Indiana, working on a book that I'm co-authoring with Jacobin staff writer and past vast majority guest Megan Day about taking the left-wing energy we've seen in recent years from the Bernie Sanders campaign, as well as campaigns like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's or the six socialist city council members in Chicago, and building a broader movement to achieve the political revolution that Bernie is always talking about. We are about two-thirds of the way done with the book, and it'll be out from Verso early next year, so watch for it. You'll also probably hear a couple episodes in the lead-up to that book's release on this very podcast. This week is the beginning of the Democratic Socialists of America Biennial Convention in Atlanta, Georgia, where more than a 1,000 DSA members from around the country will gather to elect a new leadership of the group and debate and vote on key organizational questions for the DSA. I'm an elected delegate to that convention for the Chicago DSA chapter, as is Andrew Sernatinger for Madison, Wisconsin, and Andrew is my guest today. Andrew wrote several long articles for the socialist magazine New Politics about the state of DSA today and what's at stake in the convention. You can find the links to those articles in the show notes. I wanted to bring him onto the show to both talk about the convention and reflect on the rise of DSA, which I consider to be the most promising development on the American left in many years. One quick note, if you are coming to Atlanta for the convention, or if you live there, on Friday night, Jacobin is hosting an event with international guests from Yemen, Brazil, Japan, Peru, Germany, Sudan, and the Philippines. I'll post the Facebook event with the time and address in the show notes, but it's on Friday, August 2nd at 8 p.m. at the Switchyards Downtown Club, and the event is called Our Socialism is International. Okay, here's Andrew Sernatinger. Andrew, welcome. Thanks for having me. So let's just talk about where you were personally and how your sort of trajectory to DSA. Where were you politically before you joined DSA, and when and how did you join? Um, I was a member of Solidarity for three or four years, um, and then I, I left the organization um, somewhere around 2015 and kind of decided to try my own stuff for a bit. Um, I was doing local activism, and then Around 2017, during the convention, is when I started paying attention to DSA. I saw a lot of people that were like uh, getting really excited about DSA, and the DSA that I was familiar with was more like um, my joke is that it was like a socialist AARP or something like that, right? So I was like, you know, is this for real? And people were like, yeah, no, it's actually for real. And so I started paying attention after the convention and joined shortly after. Right, and so there were those of us who were already in and around the left. And then what I assume is the vast majority of the organization is people who had never been involved in socialist politics, left politics of any kind, but were both excited by the Bernie Sanders campaign and how that campaign showed that a, a real left politics could actually gain traction in the United States. Uh, 
as well as the sort of horror at, at the election of Donald Trump, right? I mean, I think obviously some of it has to do with the fact that um, DSA kind of tacked into the Jacobin scene, right, um, in the mid-2010s, and then got involved with the Sanders thing. And um, what I tell people usually is DSA kind of blew up because of what it wasn't in a lot of ways more than what it was, right? Like, it's not an organization that has a really uh, hard politics in any regard right it's it's broad-based it um doesn't ask you to make enormous commitments it doesn't ask you to uh, like get into one central ideology so i think like the absence of those things has allowed people to find a comfort in dsa and see where it's kind of flourishing so you and i are both elected delegates to the dsa national convention which is happening in Atlanta, uh, literally just a few days from now when we're recording this. Um, before we get into what's going on at this convention, can you just sort of uh, broad strokes summarize sort of where the organization is at right now? I mean, how many members? What are the big uh, political issues of the day in the organization? Who's a member? You know, what are their sort of demographic breakdown and, and what are the big issues of the organization at this juncture well we could take a few different cuts of that but um officially right now dsa is counting itself as about sixty thousand members and um at the last convention i think that they were counting twenty five thousand. right so in two years you're talking about thirty five thousand people that have joined and before that you're, it was probably closer to five so this organization has just ballooned in the course of like three or four years, and that's um, it's been really exciting. Right? It's like attracted people all over the place, people like you and me and people who've never been involved in anything, but it, it presents some objective problems too, right? So like, you know, one of the, the good things that makes DSA so easy to grow is, you know, it's cheap, right? Like it's less than five bucks a month um, if you want to join DSA, but um, I think also that that presents a problem where you've got all of these people who show up, right. And they're excited and they need guidance and they need support and the organization doesn't have the resources to, to make that happen. Right. I mean, like, um, other socialist organizations, people usually pay something like 50 or 60 bucks a month. Right. So smaller organizations can pack a lot more. Um, and DSA is having this problem where, You've got 175 some chapters, right? Um, about a third of them are small, like less than 200 members. And since most of them have never been involved in anything, they they rely really heavily on local resources, um, like people's experience, right? Like uh, who who's done stuff, who knows how to do stuff, and that's that's what is really defining a lot of people's experiential stuff going on here. Um, Normally, kind of what people would expect is that the national would step in, right? And an organizer would say, hey, this is all the stuff you need to do socialism, right? Like, here's how you run a chapter. Here's some campaign ideas. Here's meeting stuff. Like, here's materials. Um, and and frankly, like, the organization just can't keep up with the growth, right? It's not because anybody's like, you know, fuck the members or anything like that. I think really more they're, they're just can't possibly service them. You got, I think, six... Uh, field organizers that are servicing 175 chapters across the United States, like mathematically even, right? Like there's no way that that's really going to work out that well. 
So that's like one of the big issues that's framing this convention, right? Is that people have had about two years now to see DSA grow and get big. And um, there's going to be this big disparity because places where you've got experienced organizers and like a lot more people means that you've got more capacity and they're having, you know, maybe not necessarily an easier time, but um, they're operating on a different level. Right. And then you got these smaller chapters that are looking for direction and they're, they're rightly frustrated. Right. And I think that that's kind of the central thing that's framing this moment, right? Is how are we going to deal with this organization? So that's a logistical question. We're going to get into that when we talk about what's up for debate and for vote on at the convention. But how about the actual political activities that these chapters are engaged in? What's going on in different chapters around the country uh, in terms of the campaigns that they're working on? So um, this is like a thing that I think a lot of people on the left, like experienced left, have a little bit of trouble understanding about DSA, which is like, um, it's a volunteer organization. It's not a democratic centralist organization, which kind of means like, you got to persuade people. Um, you, you present a plan, you try to get people to get some buy-in, and ultimately members are going to vote with their feet, right? Like if if they're not into it, they're not going to do it, right? No one's going to force them to. So this kind of changes. And just to... Just to clarify for uh, what a democratic centralist organization means, that's how a lot of other socialist organizations have been, which is like the the idea is that you robustly and democratically debate an idea or a course of action or whatever uh, within your organization. But once the organization makes a democratic decision, everybody lines up behind that decision. Uh, and clearly that is not what goes on in DSA and and. It's something that I think most, almost every DSA member would probably reject that they don't want to be in an organization like that. Yeah, I mean, I think like the, the major difference is that a democratic centralist organization is going to direct your activity. They say, like, once we've made this decision, like, you know, whether you're voting it up or voting it down, this is the plan. This is what we're doing, right? If you want to be in the group, you got to do this. DSA is not like that, right? So if you've got a campaign that you want to get some traction, you really got to make sure that people are on board with that. It takes a lot of convincing. Um, I mean, sometimes the convincing is really that you have a plan at all. Like a lot of people are so excited in DSA that they're like, I'll do whatever. Like you got an idea, let's do it. Right. Which is, I think one of the really refreshing things about DSA. So um, that being the case, right. You, you end up having kind of a, a fairly wide variety, right? Like, um, the two things that are probably most defining DSA right now are electoral work, right? Like that's clearly the most high profile. Um, and I'd say that most of that is centered around New York and Chicago, right? There's like some other places that have some smaller electoral campaigns going on, but clearly New York and Chicago are the places that are really leading the organization in terms of an approach to electoral politics. The other thing that um, is a big thing that has a lot of common experience in DSA is labor, right? Um, there's a Democratic Socialist Labor Commission that was chartered in 2017, and that kind of has helped develop an approach to how socialists should be doing work in the labor movement. So there's a lot of, I mean, those are the, those are the two big things, but there's a lot of people doing housing work. Um, there's a lot of people getting ready to campaign for Bernie Sanders, um, environmental work has started to get bigger prominence. You see some campaigns like um, trying to bring energy companies into public ownership. So there's a lot of things. I mean, it would take forever, I think, to list all of them. But 
um, that means that because of all this wide experience, that one of the other debates is um, how much are we going to like fan out and how much are we going to try and agree to do things in common, right? Like to the extent that we don't want to just mandate, you got to do this. Like, can we like all affirmatively agree to set some priorities, right? Are we convinced that's the right way to go? And I think that's going to be a big part of this convention too. Right. So that leads into the question of, of on the broad strokes level, what will be debated and voted on at this convention? So um, usually like people look at these things, they look at what's going into convention and they see like the appearance of different caucuses or formations in DSA. And they're like, Oh shit, there's a lot of disagreement. That's not looking good. Um, actually my take is that for the most part, you're seeing a lot of agreement in DSA. Like there's no major disagreements where someone's saying like, you say left, I say right or up or down or something like that. Like most of these are, are like, we're agreeing with the broad direction. It's just like, how are we going to place that emphasis? So, um, and, and that has more to do with the political side of things. Like the labor debate is one that's happening, but it's not like, um, is organized labor good or bad? Or like, is that where we should spend our time? Like everybody is like, the labor work DSA has been doing is good. We should do more of it. Um, we should hire a staffer so that way we can extend the work even further. And the question is like, should we spend more time trying to be union activists and like reform unions and, you know, push them to fight more? Or do we have to deal with the fact that there's um, so many unorganized workers and is our role trying to organize the unorganized? That's kind of the debate there. But, you know, that's not it's not like a debate of whether or not labor is important at all. Everyone's agreeing it is. Same thing is true with election stuff is that people are like, let's continue to do elections. Right. Nobody's saying like elections aren't worth it in this period. They're saying, yeah, let's do it. Um, there's not even that much disagreement about doing it in the Democratic Party, which has historically been like one of the biggest problems on the left, right? Like people won't be in the same group based off of their approach to the Democrats. Right now, people are willing to swallow that problem, right? They're saying there's enough that we can get out of it. So it's really like how to do those elections. We agree that we should do them. We're okay doing them like this. We're got to figure it out at some point. But right now, like what's the best approach? So, right. So because previously uh, or, or still today, a major issue of contention is the nature of the Democratic Party and whether people who call themselves socialists should have anything to do with that party. Right. And a lot of organizations like the International Socialist Organization and others said the Democratic Party is a fundamentally capitalist party and therefore – Anything that goes on within that party is something that we shouldn't have anything to do with because it's the graveyard of social movements, as many of uh, many socialists have said over the years. Uh, but yeah, as as you just mentioned, people seem to see that the work that like Bernie Sanders or Alexandria Ocasio Cortez has done within the party has led to the explosion in socialism, and so uh, they have different. Th- thoughts about what the nature of that party is but in the sort of practical short term uh they believe that we should be operating mostly within that party so i I think like that that's the starting point that i want to get people at right is that like politically we're seeing broad agreements right like it's not like dsa is going to split on any of these questions some of it's going to get hashed out but um i think the central theme of this convention is actually going to be the organization problem right that you're having basically two broad polls here. One of them that's saying that 
we should try and turn the organization more into like a network of locals, right? Like that the national organization is either not functional or not desirable, or it's not the best use of time, something like that. Right. And there's different variations of this argument, but the most important thing is that the locals are the prime spot. And then on the other side, you've got people that are saying like, well, we're a national organization for a reason, right? Like let's try to figure out coordination in a bit, in a way that's maybe more efficient and able to like, raise the banner of DSA um, in something that can be more useful, right? Like, I think some of this is going to be like on the logistical questions of, you know, how are we going to deal with this disparity where you've got experiences of people in smaller chapters that feel like they're not getting what they need. Um, But really it's going to come down to like, what's our vision for the organization? And then what steps are we going to take to move in that direction? I think that that's got to get resolved this convention. So we're going to talk about some of those logistical proposals in a second. But first, let's get to the political questions that are going to be debated. And you mentioned that there are caucuses within DSA or uh, non-caucus caucuses, I think you say in your article, um, that some of which have formed for the purpose of this convention, others of which uh, have existed before and will probably exist after uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm a member of one of those caucuses, the Bread and Roses Caucus. You are not a member of any caucus. Um, can you just briefly talk about what those caucuses are and, and why they matter and what they reflect? Yeah, so like, um, first is like a matter of perspective. A lot of people are like, you know, I don't, I don't have interaction with these groups. Like, why does this matter, right? Like, caucuses probably like less than one in ten people in DSA are actually part of them, right? So, like, why does it matter? Um, But actually, like, when you look at who's writing the resolutions, who's um, running for the National Political Committee, the majority of resolutions are coming from people that are organized in one of these national formations. The vast majority of people running for the NPC are attached to a formation, right? So it's like, you got to know, right, whether or not it it affects you in your local where you're doing stuff for the sake of the national organization and this convention, you kind of, you got to understand a little bit about it. So um, I kind of put this into roughly five groups, I think, right? So bread and roses is the group you're associated with. Um, Maybe do you want me to misrepresent them or do you want to do that? (laughs) Just give me, give me pure lies, (laughs) pure lies. Uh, I mean, bread and roses self identifies as a Marxist uh, formation in DSA and um, really is trying to come up with a democratic national structure, right? Like the quote that I pulled out in the article I wrote was that you're really concerned about the tyranny of structurelessness, right? Which is a article by Joanne Freeman about how democracy does and doesn't work in informal ways. Um, And trying to like come up with something that's going to actually be meaningful democracy, right? Is that about fair? Yes, and also that there uh, the the caucus explicitly argues for the need eventually to form a, a, a new party independent of the Democrats, but doesn't believe that we need to be doing that tomorrow. So you know you get that flavor from somebody that can speak for the caucus right here. But uh, I, I think maybe the the thing that's distinctive about Bread and Roses, to my mind, is that Bread and Roses is probably the caucus that has the most like coherent political view of a lot of these groups, right? There's an ideology that, that it kind of runs with and you can understand it, right? Members that are in BNR tend to 
they they have similar ideas about what they want to get done and other caucuses are maybe a little bit looser right so um some of the um, and like caucus is maybe it's a hard thing to go with because some of these groups are going to say like well we're not a caucus but like my argument is you kind of do the same stuff right so it's like what does it matter to call it a caucus or a tendency or whatever we like i think we kind of know what we're talking about here so um the other ones would be build right which um is a formation that's uh it's focused around a publication they make a zine and they're um, trying to like do stuff to highlight what locals are doing and exchange ideas, right? So they tend to be more focused on like the localism and association of locals um, as opposed to like the national structure. Then you get Libertarian Socialist Caucus, which is the more like anarchist, council communist kind of group, right? Um, they are self-identified as being really suspicious of any authority or representation so their proposals and stuff tend to have that flavor of like you know decentralization and mega transparency right everything needs to be out in the open or else it's illegitimate then you get socialist majority which is a group that um it's made up mostly of like former staff former leaders of dsa people that were on the national political committee before um that kind of know a lot of the inner workings of the group right but they don't want to be in bread and roses probably for ideological reasons but they want to have more of a national organization um so i think that i would probably call them more of like a convention formation they're not as ideologically based right but they want to make sure we have a national organization that we can call home at the end of this thing and then the last one is the collective power network right they're a, a little bit tougher to pin down on some things but their big thing that they're pitching is like a regional structure right like they're saying that the problem that DSA is going to have is unless we can fill in this gap between the local and the national, that the organization can't grow anymore. So a lot of their proposals are like, how are we going to build these regional committees or whatever? And um, they have like some distinct political positions on labor, right? There's an interesting debate between Bread and Roses and CPN on how we're approaching labor. But for the most part, I'd say, like, the flavor of their organization is about, like, creating regional bodies and changing up some of the structure of DSA while still having, like, a larger national. Great. So those are the 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 organized tendencies. And again, just to emphasize, the vast majority of people who are members of DSA and probably, I don't know if you agree with this, the majority of people who will be at this convention are not members of any of these caucuses or at least like you know close to half or something um but they will play this important role in the convention so um let's talk about first the political issues that are going to be debated and can you maybe give us some of the highlights um from your new politics article about what is going to be debated on the convention floor on on uh, just a political level yeah, so as I mentioned, right, like labor is going to have like really the central thing is not about whether or not we're going to do labor work or how important that is to DSA. Like it's clearly going to be an important part. The debate is going to be our approach to labor. Are we going to do what's called the rank and file strategy, which is the approach that's being advocated by Bread and Roses? Or are we going to do something else, right? Like, I don't know that it has a name, the alternative, but 
broadly speaking, like a mix of organizing the unorganized and maybe working as staff where it makes sense to work as staff for unions. Um, but something that is not quite the rank and file strategy. Um, my pushback on that tends to be that uh, people that are opponents of the rank and file strategy say that the rank and file strategy is very narrow or something like that. And like my clarification is like, no, not really. I mean, like that's like actually like the historical American socialist approach to labor. Right. So like, you know, the rank and file strategy is really about whether you're talking about um, keeping a criticism of union bureaucracy and having a sense of like what working with unions is going to bring towards being able to have a better labor movement versus saying like, we just need to organize and figure it out kind of as we go. Right. So that's what I think the main difference is there. Well, and it's, it, it is in contrast to what was the historic DSA strategy towards labor, which was more oriented towards that labor bureaucracy, towards the people who held elected leadership positions or paid staff positions within unions and getting those people to join uh, the DSA. And there were a lot of people who in the 80s and 90s were members of DSA who held those kind of leadership positions in unions. But the, the rank and file strategy is more of an emphasis on building power at the rank and file level, right? As opposed to focusing on building power at the uh, staff and leadership level. Not that staff and leadership isn't important, but that the emphasis should be on the rank and file. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's like listeners should probably check into this debate, right? Like I think the reality is the vast majority of DSA members are going to have very little uh, first-hand knowledge of the labor movement, right? So, like, this is an important debate, but it's something that I think is going to be somewhat contained, and um, hopefully, like, the the experience of the debate is going to teach some people, like, about how organized labor works in the United States and, like, what kinds of questions we're going to deal with, but you're definitely right. Like, this is... It, like, I don't think anybody is explicitly arguing to go back to the DSA policy of, like, the 80s and 90s of, like, find, like, a progressive union bureaucrat and, like, be like, uh, let's let's be friends and, like, maybe you'll let us do things with you. Like, more people are saying, like, we need to be aggressive in our organizing approach. It's just, like, what's our posture towards um, the union officialdom, right? And, like, how much transformation needs to happen, and to be clear, for those who aren't familiar with the with the critique of the labor bureaucracy, the argument is that people who are part of that bureaucracy develop interests that are distinct from those of the rank and file members, uh, which tends to push them in a more conservative direction. And so what's needed to overcome that is sort of organizing at the rank and file level. And like the last thing I'll throw in on the labor debate here is that like um, – the rank and file strategy in a lot of ways is kind of like what DSA's approach has been for the last couple of years. It kind of is in broad strokes, like the, the model that's been put forward by like teachers uh, in West Virginia and Oklahoma who had kind of like a from below orientation to like pushing the union forward, right? Like that that's kind of the model that is being suggested, right? Like we should we should take that approach to how to do union work. Um, so like, this isn't like, let's do a radical departure from something that we are doing in DSA. Now it's actually saying like, let's continue based off of things that we've seen. And there's a name for what is happening. It's called the rank and file strategy. So 
how about uh, what's being debated on Bernie Sanders um, and electoral strategy broadly? I'm not necessarily the best representative of the electoral positions. Like electoral work hasn't always been my thing, but um, like since there is so much interest right now in running local elections the question is like how should we do them right like now we've seen over the last couple years that it's possible um maybe like in 2015 the question of could you run a socialist for an office like public office in the united states like that wasn't a question that people were going to definitively say yes to and now that it's something people feel fairly confident the question is well how should we do it like are there criteria that need to be placed on there like how much should we have like a a, a standard um test for like what is acceptable for dsa and how much should we let that be something that locals will figure out based off their own conditions right i think that's kind of the main debate but suffice to say that like people are trying to figure out like what's the most appropriate way what's our base minimum as socialists that we're willing to accept and that we think is going to be useful so um most of that stuff is geared towards like local or state level elections and then when you start to think about it on a national level now we're entering a whole new arena here right so um i wrote a resolution which is um it's actually kind of counterposed to another one i didn't know that when i wrote it but there's one that's um that's kind of like the anyone but trump um resolution which is you know it doesn't matter if sanders is the guy or not the most important thing is beating trump whoever the democrats put up the resolution that i put up in in place of that was to say that um sanders occupies a kind of unique place for us as socialists that um he's able to let the people who are skeptical of the democrats feel like we can give this a shot on the national level or whatever and if he's not the guy then we should say we're not endorsing anybody I think that that's going to be a, actually a really big deal for DSA coming up um, because we've actually had like really favorable conditions in a lot of ways for the last couple of years, right? Like DS, this DSA um, has come up like since, you know, the first Bernie wave. And then we've, we've kind of all known that a second one was going to come. And so we haven't had to really make a decision about what do we do on the national level um, if it's not Bernie Sanders. Well, now, that question is, it's coming. Like we can tell there's, there's a definite timeline where the primary is going to happen. And at one point it's either him or it's not him. And DSA is going to have to decide what's our orientation to, um, you know, national politics when that decision is made. Right. So your resolution is arguing that basically the only acceptable presidential candidate for DSA to endorse is Bernie Sanders. And while you didn't write it with the people who wrote the class struggle elections resolution, it's sort of uh, similar building off each other because the class struggle elections uh, resolution argues for a certain kind of approach to electoral politics, like one that, uh, you know, heightens class different, you know, names a class enemy versus, you know, this is the class enemy over here. This is the working class. This uh, politician is on the side of the ruling class. And we uh, are in the on the side of a left, you know, candidate who wants to fight for the working class and wants to wants to defeat the rich Um, versus the defeating Trumpism one, which is more like the old uh, DSA one that saw it as a 
the, the the most important thing is to defeat Trump and the forces of the far right that are in office or that are running for office. Uh, and so that's a difference of political approach. Like, do we just want to be on the side of anybody who is sort of to the left of Trump? Uh, or do we want our candidate or, or do we demand that our candidate uh, have certain characteristics, approach politics in a certain way and say no to Democrats who do not fit that uh, that idea of how a candidate should conduct themselves. Yeah. So um, I guess tossing a little bit more into that, right, is that um, we know who the potential Democrats uh, would be, right? Like it's either going to be Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or Beto or whatever. Like we know who they're going to be. We know what their politics are. We know that they don't align with our politics. Right. And I think the problem is going to be that individual members might have to decide for themselves, like, is this what I'm willing to do? But DSA as an organization has a certain amount of weight. And do we want to lend our legitimacy to like corporate Democrats or whatever? Right. I mean, like I would argue too, that we got into this situation because of corporate neoliberal Democrats and we're not going to solve it by endorsing another one. Right. Like, I don't think that that's going to get us out of this hole, but you know, it's something that DSA is going to have to decide. And I'm looking forward to that debate. And so this is a kind of inside baseball section to talk about the organizational questions but can you just briefly sketch out uh some of those things that are debated which are a huge chunk of of what's going to be debated but also um would probably make uh some people turn this podcast off <laughs> if we go too far into that so just broad strokes what's happening with yeah those. so so first of all half half of all of the resolutions that were submitted for this convention are about organization like that's a fuckload, right? Clearly the organization question is the one that's on people's mind. And like I said before, right, this is going one of two directions. Either we're going to try to figure out how to be a national organization and solve some of the problems we've come up with in the last two years, or we're going to say, fuck it. Um, we're an association of locals, right? DSA is kind of like a brand or something like that. And like what we're trying to do is create all these, um, you know, horizontal links or something like that. Right. So there have been actual organizational problems that come up and now we got to figure out what's, what's the way we're going to deal with them. Right. So like there's a clear lack of confidence in the national political committee. Like people are suspicious about how the national leadership of DSA is operating and some stuff has got to get figured out for restoring the confidence and making sure that people feel like they are, full democratic participants in DSA, right? Like that's, that's a huge one. Um, some of it's going to be like some, uh, you know, like of that regional proposals, there's a bunch of different flavors of that. Um, some of them want to get rid of the national leadership structure entirely and replace it with kind of like this Congress thing. Um, but you know, the, the second part of this is really the funding thing, right? Like in the end, like all of our time is volunteer time. So the only thing that we can debate about is what are we going to do with the money that we have, right? We don't have a ton of money, like for 60,000 some members, we have four and a half million dollars, right? Like 
my union of 4,000 members has more money than that. So we have to figure out a little bit like, is it a better use of our money to try and centralize it or are we going to disperse it, right? So like that's a huge part of this debate. There's There's some constitutional amendments and a lot of resolutions that's like, Either we're going to kick all this money back to the locals, uh, you know, to a greater or lesser degree, or we're going to figure out a way that we can give people the support on a more variable basis and, um, and make sure that we still have like a greater amount of funds for the national. And I, to me, the organizational questions, it's sort of, some of it is a chicken or the egg question, because it's like, as you mentioned, we, it's an organization without very high dues it's a very low bar to entry uh you know you don't you can volunteer to pay more but you're not required to pay more so it means that the national organization doesn't have very much resources for an organization its size which means that the national staff is unable to stay on top of everything that's happening in an organization that's as large as dsa is and then people are like well why the hell isn't anything happening from the national office well you know fuck the national office let's just let's devolve the organization let's let's move the power to the local level uh but we haven't actually tried yet like what it might look like to have a actually well-funded national organization that actually has the resources to uh provide for uh, the needs of all the different uh, chapters, but th- this seems like it's going to be a, a, a big thing, or maybe the big thing that's going to be debated at the convention. But to zoom out, uh, you know, above the, these kind of nuts and bolts questions, it's these are all very good problems to have, and to me, there's never been a more exciting time, certainly in my lifetime, to be a socialist in the United States and, and you know, the main vehicle that is delivering that excitement is the democratic socialists of America. Like we have what, what I consider to be a once in a lifetime opportunity to really reshape American politics uh, in a, in a leftward direction. And, and the DSA in particular, I think has a really important role to play in that. And so whatever happens at this convention uh it it seems like people should still be very excited that we live in such a moment where uh such opportunities are being presented to us yeah i think that really people should be coming away from this realizing that like there's a lot of agreement right like that um as much as there's some stuff to be worked out there's some differences that definitely exist like there we're really in a good place in a lot of ways and um and I, I would hope that people see like those agreements and um, don't get kind of caught up in, in the things that are, you know, not always fun, right? Like nobody likes disagreeing necessarily, but like there's a genuine and like earnest desire to see DSA move forward, right? And I think, you know, this convention could uh, could be like a transformative experience for a lot of people just in terms of participating in a democratic way. Andrew, could you have imagined five years ago even ending a discussion on the state of the american socialist left with a note of optimism uh i mean you know i thought to myself it would be great to be optimistic yeah, right yeah. <laughs> yeah well uh we're in a moment where you don't have to pine for a sense of optimism but where you could actually feel it uh through getting involved in the socialist movement in the united states so uh andrew thanks a lot for coming on yeah thanks for having me 
The vast majority is produced by Sarah Hurd at Studio 10 in Chicago. You can subscribe to The Vast Majority and to all the Jacobin Radio podcasts on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can always read us at jacobinmag.com. 